We are very encouraged to hear what God is doing through City Life to change lives. If you have a story to share of how City Life has impacted you, please let us know at story at citylifecenter.org. Welcome to the City Life Podcast. Our desire is to make Jesus known. We pray that these messages will help equip you to become a follower of Jesus who is empowered to influence and shape culture. Enjoy the message. Today, we're going to talk about enjoy. Enjoy. I, yes, I can spell. I'm a published author. I can spell enjoy. Um, but th- I wanted to put it this way because this is going to be a th- theological standpoint of what scripture talks to us when it talks about joy. When we talk about joy, we think about happiness, but that's not the way scripture deals with it. Happiness can go and can come depending on extenuating circumstances. Joy has nothing to do with surrounding circumstances. Joy has to do with the attitude of what's going on, on the inside. Happiness comes, happiness goes. That's just the way life is. If joy goes, it's because you said goodbye. If joy comes, it's because you said hello. No one can take away your hello. No one can take away your goodbye. If you have your Bibles with you, I want you to open up your Bibles real quick to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3. I do like King James Version because I am getting older. I appreciate it. It has a lot of, of meat to it. I also like the NIV, Normandy International Version. That's pretty good too. But I want to I read, uh, I just, just read a little bit uh, these three verses and then we're going to go into the message. These are the only, uh, pretty much the only three verses we're going to use. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which says so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us verse 2 looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God verse 3 last one for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. It's saying that the verse three, it's letting you know, hey, look at Jesus, because if you look at Jesus, he was tired. If you look at Jesus, he was struggling. If you look at Jesus, everything wasn't perfect, even though everything was perfect on the inside of him, everything was not perfect on the outside of him. Look at him, he made it, you can make it. Look at Jesus, he could be joyful, you can be joyful. And I want to set the premise with this. Usually preachers like to build up and then nail it at the end so that they can put it on the Instagram, look what God did. You know, so I'm, I want to lay out the best part at the very beginning because messages were never meant to be mysteries. They were always meant to be hopeful and encouraging. So I'd rather you be encouraged at the very beginning and we just walk through scripture because there's no speaker who's that great. It's not the great news, it's the good news because nothing else is good except this. There's no, it can't get any better. So it just has to be good. And so I want, I want to set the premise with this. The more you enjoy, the more you are able to endure. The level of your enjoyment dictates the level of your endurement. So when you get married, your wife looks great. You've been, you've been having Herbalife up the wazoo. Everyone's looking good. The husband's actually been going to the gym. Now he kind of walks by it on the way to the donut shop, but he still is in the vicinity of gym activity. Everyone looks so good and you say, I do, it's so beautiful. And then you get on a plane or you drive or whatever it is and you go to your destination, it's your honeymoon and that's where you know, a lot of prayer and fasting you know, comes from. And that's where children come from. Um, and so you, there, there's all of this bliss that surrounds everything. It's not hard to get married when you're happy but it's a different story whenever you have multiple kids trying to figure out how to pay the mortgage the stress of life comes loved ones pass away and real life now comes and now it's a different story than the day on your wedding day 
the, the, the stats are alarming in the church today that it's pretty, it almost uh, is identical to the stats in the world of, of, of marriages and divorce and, and the, the, in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a system and in a social uh, economic place like we're in today where things are not valued of commitment. Uh, if that is the way our commitment is to one to another and we're both imperfect people, how much more a kind of going away from a relationship and a commitment to God? God's commitment is never, uh, is never wavering when it comes to us, but sometimes our commitment to him, even after we accept him, sometimes it becomes a little wavering. Not because Jesus loses his ability to save and to love us once and for all time, but sometimes we don't come back to that on a daily basis. And when it comes to joy and it comes to the relationships of life and it comes to the minutia of the things that we go through on a daily manner, there's so much that comes over us, but that's why God puts so much inside of us. And as we face the things on the external pressures, we end up coming up with things that we have of an internal presence of God that comes with us through every single thing that we go through. And the level of our enjoyment through the things that we're going through in this very moment dictates the level of your endurement of what you'll be able to handle in the next season. There are things that God has for your life, for your marriage, for your children, for your children's children, for your children's children's children, and for those who don't like to put the D on the word children, those are my favorite people, children's. You say children's. Your children are your children's children's, you know? And so that's the community I grew up in. And so in, in, as, as, you, as you face God this way and you realize, God, I don't like everything going on around me, but I love everything happening on the inside of me. When you face tomorrow, you now go with the presence you have today and other people's today need to encounter what you experienced yesterday. And so your marriage is going to be transformed. Your children's are going to be transformed. The people that you work with are going to be transformed because they're going to see the hope that you have in the middle of everything surrounding you. I love what the New Testament says. It says, be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. Why would anyone ever ask you a question unless they saw something in your life worth asking? If you don't like the way someone dresses, have you ever gone to them and said, hey, where'd you get that? No, but if you like what someone is wearing, if you like someone's purse that they have, hopefully it's women only, but if you like someone's purse that they have, if you like someone's shoes, if you like what they're saying, if you like what they're representing, if you like where they're driving, the likelihood of you asking where they got it goes up much higher. And that's just stuff. How much more the things that we go through, why are you always smiling? You ever notice that whenever you see Pastor Tim, it's a little annoying where you're like, how do I be that happy? You just lost someone and you're over here walking around in your Adidas, uh, almost looking like Sam Smith close, but you got your Adidas on and you're, in, you're, you're, you're so happy and you just lost someone that you loved. Do you know what Pastor Tim knows that you don't? He didn't lose anyone that he loved because he's gonna see them again. So it causes to be joy because the people who are suffering are us who are still here, but she is no longer suffering. You see, if all you have is this life, then you lost everything and there's no hope. But if we believe in the life to come, this is just the introduction. This is just the first chapter. And what does scripture say? That he is the author and the finisher of our faith. So everything happening in the middle, he's already there. So we're gonna walk through this today. We're gonna talk about three actions of enjoyment. Three actions of enjoyment. Enjoyment is not something to just understand and to intellectually dissect so that you can spiritually be closer to God. It doesn't work that way. 
Uh, anytime that you, we have anything that gets close to God, it's called faith. And scripture says without faith, it is impossible to please God. But it also says that faith without works is dead. You don't work for your relationship with God. You work in gratefulness because you, what you got for free, which is salvation. So you don't work to please God. You, you're, you please God simply because you are grateful of what he did in your life. It looks like work for people who don't understand. It looks like joy for people who do. Three actions of enjoyment. The first action is to run. I love what verse one says. It says, therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, lay, lay, aside, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here's what I love. Jesus loves to run. When Jesus is having the last, the last meal, right, the last supper, he's sitting there and when Judas betrays him and he begins to share with him and, every, and the guys don't know that it's Judas, but Jesus knows that it's Judas who's gonna betray him. He's, what does he tell Judas? What's the first thing he tells Jesus? Judas? What you're gonna go do, go do it quickly. You're gonna go get them to betray me so that they can kill me? Go do it quickly. Jesus runs to betrayal. He runs to judgment. What happens after Judas kisses him on the cheek in the garden and they take him to the court so that they can officially call him guilty? He runs to betrayal. Jesus runs to his own judgment. When you have a level of joy that Jesus has, it's easy to run to judgment when you're running in joy. So he runs to judgment. He runs to the cross. He runs to death so that he can run to our rescue. Jesus is in a hurry because he wants to hurry and help. Jesus wants to do things speedily so that he can speedily save. So when you're following God, you have to understand God first followed after you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. Jesus has always been a runner. He's always run. He's always run after you. He's always run after your marriage. He's always run after your heart. He's always run after your doubts. He's always run after your struggle. What does it say? Run with endurance? Scripture only says things that God already does. So Jesus ran with great endurance so because he had such a great enjoyment after you. He's going after your family. He's going after your heart. He's going after your extended family. He's going after your career. He's going after all the things that he designed for you. It says every good and perfect gift comes from above. There's so many things that God has designed for you that he wants to make sure that you not only initiate, but that you're able to endure through. Because the thing that he gives you, even though it's good and perfect, it doesn't mean it's always pretty. Amen. Good and perfect does not always mean pretty. It just doesn't. The first action is to run. Let us run. Run with direction. Run with hope. Run with love. And the second action is, we, is we, he called us to look. To look in love. Hebrews chapter two, it says, looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. Whenever you're looking at Jesus, there are some interesting things that we have to think about that whenever you are expository in a message, you're exploring things, spiritual or theological things that are happening, it's very important to look at everything through Jesus' eyes. Very important. 
So whenever we are running, okay, we understand how Jesus is running. We're walking through that this morning. As now you're thinking, okay, what did Jesus look at? When Jesus is hanging on the cross, there are different instances in scripture of different people groups that he saw. One of the first ones was there are two criminals, one on the left and one on the right. So Jesus is having a conversation amongst these guys while they're hanging on the cross, all bleeding, and he's looking at criminals. He's looking at trespassers of the law. Scripture says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus runs the distance to close that gap and looks at us. Not that he looks at us as criminals, it's that he looks at us in spite that we were criminals. And there's no getting around that. All means all. All means all. And I don't know about you, but I'd have to raise both my hands, take off my shoes so that you can see both of my ten, my 10 toes raising up in the air to show you how guilty I have been. And Jesus looks at me anyway, even while I was a criminal. He looks at the soldiers that are there. One of the soldiers stabs him on the side and blood and water comes out. And he, he's looking at the soldiers. He's looking at the people. He's looking at the different people that are about to take over once he's gone. He's looking at his mother. He's looking at his beloved disciple and he's taking, out, he's taking care of his mother while he's dying. People realize that John, the first person to really kind of be over the church was Peter. After that was Paul. After that was John. That's kind of where that Catholic kind of mentality comes from of celebrating the saints and such. John is considered kind of, in, in qu kind of quiet for a lot of decades. And you know, the reason why is because Jesus gives John a mandate to take care of his mother. Mother, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. John is so consumed with the family of Christ that Jesus thinks it's important enough to appoint a specific person to look after his mother while he's gone someone looking after his mother does not help us get saved jesus blood does that but jesus thought it was important enough not only to run after us but to look out for others love looks out for others joy is not personal joy is corporate joy is community well, it means that God doesn't want good things for me. Of course he does, but can I tell you something? If Preston brings his joy, Shirley brings her joy, Pastor Tim brings his joy, and I bring my joy, with the more joy that we have, the more we're gonna be able to endure and go through together. Why do you think here at City, we do not want you to do life alone? We were never meant to do life alone. Even if you wanna go through scripture, fine, let's take a theological stance. It is not good for man to be alone. We were meant to go through joy together. The problem is whenever in our relationships we start wanting to experience certain types of joy with the people that we were supposed to be committed to. And we start getting joy from other areas we shouldn't be having. The fact of the matter is whenever you are in Christ, there's such a joy that comes from the Lord, from God, from Jesus' sacrifice, from his resurrection. There's so much joy that he gives us and shares with us that it's not only good news, it's things that we're able to take through to the other side. We're able to go through our marriage to the other side. We're able to take our family to the other side. We're able to welcome our family to the other side. We're able to go through the people that we work with and we're able to, maybe you don't have all the answers, but you know what, you have joy and you can share your joy. Hey, can I buy you lunch? Hey, can I take you to lunch? Maybe you're not ready yet to invite them to church. Maybe you don't feel comfortable yet, but you know what? Whenever you're joyful, you'll find a way. 
Well, you know what? I'm just going to buy them lunch for about a month in a row. I'm going to talk with them. I'm going to befriend them. Well, good. You should be doing that anyway. And in that, wait for them to give you, for you to give an answer for the hope that you have. That joy, when it's in you, it can't, no one can take it out. No one can take it out. Three actions to joy. The first action is to run. Run with direction. Run with love. Run with hope. The second is to look, to look in love, to look for people, to look and to share joy together. And the last and final action (laughs) for enjoyment is to sit. This is my favorite. Is to sit. I love this story that you share with the little boy of just laying down, sitting down. And we're going to walk through that here in a second. But the, the, the last action that you have to take in joy is to sit. He says here, verse two, it says, and Jesus is sat down at the right hand of God. And Jesus, who is sat down at the right hand of God. Now for me, scripture is very important. I take it very serious. The whole Old Testament is written in Hebrew and the New Testament is written in Greek with a little bit of Aramaic in there. And so the Greek word in which this is originally construed from is the the word despising. It says there in verse two, it says, and Jesus despising its shame, despising the shame of the cross, the way that he died, the, the whole movement of everything that's happening in that season. He says, and despising the shame, comma, and is sat down at the right hand of God, right? despising the shame. That word despising is very key for us. It's the word kataphronio in the Greek. And here's what it means. Thinking nothing of. So read that verse again. Christ thinking nothing of shame. Let's look at this two ways. The first way, Christ doesn't think of shame. Kind of where you don't think very highly of someone. Christ doesn't think highly of shame. He doesn't think of shame. And then to get in a practical way, Jesus doesn't think of shame at all. Jesus thinks nothing of shame. Shame always follows blame. Blame is a consequence of actually being guilty. For all are guilty. We are worthy of blame, but Jesus steps in the way to take the blame on himself. And because he takes the blame on himself, the whole matter is settled. Because it's settled, he thinks nothing of shame. It would not, because it would not only be a waste of time, it would be a lie to think of shame. And scripture says that he is not a man that he should lie, nor son of man that he should repent. So him thinking about shame once something is settled is a lie because it's already settled. That means that there would have to be an ounce of doubt in Jesus to think about your shame. Because, oh, what if my blood isn't enough to cover it all? But it is. That's why he thinks nothing of shame. He thinks nothing of your shame. He thinks nothing of my shame. If Jordan will come up and help me. He thinks nothing of my shame. Christ didn't die for the shame, otherwise he wouldn't have needed to resurrect. If Jesus dies on the cross only and doesn't resurrect, his blood is enough to cover you as a sacrifice. That's what happened in the Old Testament because no sacrifice in the Old Testament ever came back to life. It always just died. It just needed to be there so that it could cover what was happening. Jesus didn't die for shame. He sacrificed in the Old Testament. All these Old Testament sacrifices never came back. Christ died and resurrected, check this out, for the joy. He died for the judgment. He resurrected for the joy. 
He died for the judgment, innocent, found innocent, clean, white as snow, accepted my own, but he resurrected for the joy. I came back, I didn't want to be away from you so we could spend eternity together. I went through this whole thing so that I could get to you and I went through this whole thing so you could get to me. I'm so joyful about spending eternity together that I went and I came down as a baby. I came down as a human being. I took on a lesser form. I was in my godlyhood. I put on skin. I put on human life so that it could be taken from me so that I could take you into my own. So I could bring you unto myself. I took on judgment so you could take on joy. It's a nice sentiment when Jesus takes evil from us. It's a totally different ballgame when he tries to put godliness on you. It's a nice sentiment when he tries to take away the temporary sting of death, and it's different when he tries to put on eternal life on you. All of a sudden, you wear it like a coat, and you're like, I don't deserve this. And that's the point. We don't but we accept it. I don't, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know the situation that I find myself in. You don't know the pinnacle of problems that I'm in in this very season of my life. And Jesus is saying, but I do. Because I endured the cross because of joy. For the joy that was in front of me, I endured the cross. And check this out. If he could have said, and it would be pretty cool for us as humans, for the joy that was for Pastor Tim, I endured the cross. That's not why he endured it. He endured it for his own joy because nothing makes him more joyful than to spend eternity with you. You, we are the benefits of salvation because God wants us that badly unto himself. You see, when you look at Jesus and you think that you are the center of him dying on the cross, you are the center of him resurrecting, you forget the point of who is God and who is not. But when you begin to realize God's love is so intense and so specific for your life, for your marriage, for your situation, for your calamity that you find yourself in, you begin to realize, I am loved so much that's why eternity opens its doors unto me and that door is called Jesus. And when you begin to realize, okay, it's all about you, God, but you made it somehow about me, I am so appreciative of that joy, my desire to live correctly, my desire to live circumspectly of things that are righteous and right. I wanna draw in every relationship I have into what is you. I wanna bring in my marriage into what is you. I wanna bring my children into what is you. I wanna bring my acquaintances into what is you. God, I wanna bring in strangers for what is you. I wanna bring in homeless for what is you. I wanna bring people who feel like they have no hope because they are so shameful because of the blame that they have received I want them to know the good news that you took the blame so that you could think nothing of shame and I want to bring people into you not so I can have a shiny crown in heaven but it's so that it can be crowded where I live for all of eternity imagine the people sitting next to you now 
and this church all having a community in heaven together. A community that understands it's just about God's love for us. If you'll bow your head and close your eyes with me. I want to leave you with this statement. With every head bowed, every eye closed, it says, if you remember the third action, the first one is to run and enjoyment. The second is to look and enjoyment. The, the last one is to sit in enjoyment. Scripture says that Jesus sat down at the right hand of God. The reason why Jesus is sitting is because sitting is the only action you do when you have no other place to be. Jesus is set at the right hand of God because there's nowhere else he needs to be. And when he allows us to run in that enjoyment, to look in that enjoyment, and to sit in that enjoyment, he created a place where you would be able to sit in his presence because there is nowhere else you need to be. With every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're in this place and you would say, if, 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 if I do not believe that I would spend eternity in heaven with my current belief system, with, with where I've been at, but man, off of, based off of today, if this is true, that there's a man named Jesus that loves me, that gave his life for me, and he was sent by God the Father, the Creator, to be able to die for me, to be able to take the blame from me, to be able to take shame from me. I want that. I, I want to live with that. I want to live with him forever in that. With every head about every eye closed, if that's you, and you would say, man, I want to make the decision today to be a Jesus follower, to accept that invitation that he gave me. With every head about every eye closed, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand right where you're at. If you would say, man, that's me. I want, to, I want to say that prayer today. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your honesty. Lord, I, I thank you for each and every single one of my brothers and sisters that are in this place today. I pray that our families and our communities and our marriages would line up with your love towards us, that we would, that we would run to you, we would look to you, and we would sit in your presence and that we would do it all together based on the joy that you gave your life for. We honor you. We thank you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. City Life is able to continue making Jesus known through the consistent investments of many. If you would like to invest financially into the vision, you can do so at citylifecenter.org. Simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thank you for listening to this week's message from City Life Church. You can stay connected through Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We look forward to seeing you on Sunday.